Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for that glorious day that we can look forward to, that hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you that if we know and love him, then we know that we have that wonderful hope of seeing Jesus face to face. And we long for that day, and we pray that you'd help us to live for that day, to have our eyes fixed on that day, and to be looking to the sky, we pray. Father, as we read your word now, as we study it together, meet with us, speak to us, change us, challenge us, transform us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The last recorded events in a person's life often tell us a great deal about the nature and the character of a person. They, they tell us and show us what was really important to that person. And today we're going to be looking together at the last recorded events in the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts 28. Paul was an apostle, one of a group of special men that God had appointed to lead the church in those first few decades after Jesus had returned to heaven. And at the heart of what it meant to be an apostle was to be somebody who was sent with God's message to the world. The message that Paul and all the apostles, men like Peter and James and John and others, had been given by God was to take the world uh, was to take this message of love, of God's love, the gospel message, this good news about Jesus, to the whole world. And we're going to look exactly, a little bit more detail anyway, what the gospel message is a little bit later on. It, But it essentially means that good news about Jesus, the good news that Jesus has come, loved us, died for us, rose again, and is coming again. We're going to look at what that means a bit more in a moment. But Paul had been a passionate and a zealous Jew. Paul was the, the most Jewish of all Jews, the most passionate of Jews. But one day, as he was on his way to uh, imprison some Christians with a view to having them killed, he hated Christians with an absolute passion, Jesus appeared to Paul, or Saul as he was then. And Saul, who became Paul, Saul's life was to utterly transformed. It was turned upside down by this encounter, this amazing encounter with Jesus. And as a result, Paul's life was just changed forever. He was never the same again. And he spent the rest of his life traveling and telling people about Jesus, planting new churches and teaching those churches and writing letters to help those churches, which we've got, or many of which we've got in the New Testament today. The book of Acts is the account for us written by a man named Luke of how the church grew and how it spread the gospel, this, this, this message about Jesus, right across the Roman Empire and beyond during the years 33 to about 60 AD. And in the book of Acts, we read a great deal about Paul. We read about his conversion. We read about how he served the Lord Jesus. And over the last few years, we've been working our way through this book. We've, we've taken breaks, but we've been working our way our way right the way throughout this fantastic book of Acts here at Regent on Sunday mornings. And today we've reached the very last section. It's the last section where Paul is in Rome. He is chained up under house arrest and he's awaiting trial before Nero. He'd been arrested in Jerusalem some two and a half years earlier. And then after two years in prison, he'd been then sent by a ship to Rome and of course was shipwrecked and we read about that as he ended up in Malta and so on. But he was sent to Rome to be tried by Caesar which was the right that he had uh, appealed for as a Roman citizen. He had the right to be heard, have his case heard by Caesar who in this case was Nero. And so here is Paul finally in Rome. He's chained up night and day to a member of the Praetorian Guard. These were Caesar's elite forces, his elite staff. And the Praetorian Guard would, would guard prisoners who were going to be tried by Caesar. But despite the fact that he was chained up to a soldier, at the same time, Paul was given great freedom. Because the Romans knew that actually Paul was no threat to them whatsoever. This was a, a kind of formality of a trial, really. 
And so as a result, Paul was allowed to have visitors, to people to come and go, and he was allowed to preach to them, and many of them uh, became Christians as a result of this situation. In fact, it would seem that probably some of the soldiers actually became Christians as a result of being chained up to Paul. Paul must have thought this was the most brilliant evangelistic strategy. I'm chained to a man. He can't go anywhere. And for eight hours, I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And then when he goes off shift, I get another one, and I get to tell another one for another eight hours about Jesus. What a fantastic opportunity. And you can imagine the soldiers probably think, oh, no, I've got another eight hours with this madman from Israel. I've got to listen about this guy Jesus again whether they liked it or not. And, and, and it seems as if probably, we got this kind of inference, which we'll see later on, that, that probably some of them, perhaps many of them, did actually trust in Jesus. So in this last section of Acts, we read the final information about Paul. We don't really know what happened to Paul after this. Some scholars think that he was imprisoned in Rome for two years and then was executed. Some thinks he... Uh, some think he was released after this two years that we're reading about today and then later rearrested and then executed by Nero. Others think he was released and traveled to Spain. Personally, I think the most likely is that he was arrested and then executed by Nero sometime before certainly 64 AD. But Acts 28 is the end of the story that we have. We don't actually know for certain what happened beyond there. Luke doesn't tell us anymore. He ends his great book, his great acts of the apostles, his, his, his fantastic story, this, this true story of how the church spread, the gospel spread all over Europe. And he ends this book with Paul under house arrest in Rome, telling people about Jesus. And I think the Holy Spirit, who inspired Luke to write these words, to write this great book, he he doesn't want us to focus on Paul. He doesn't want us to focus on Paul's death for for it all to be about Paul because the gospel, that the Christian faith isn't about Paul. That the gospel, the Christian faith is about Jesus. It's about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And so deliberately, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, leaves Paul alive telling others about Jesus. He doesn't record for his death. He doesn't want us to become obsessed and become followers of Paul. We're meant to be followers of Jesus and to focus on Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' life and death. We can learn a fantastic amount from, great, from Paul's great life, but only in turn because he was a follower and a preacher of Jesus. That's why Paul is worth studying. Luke ends his account in Acts chapter 8 with Paul telling people about Jesus because that's what he wants us to realize is all important. It's not Paul who's important, it's Jesus. And it's telling people about Jesus that Luke wants us to focus on. So let's read Acts 28. We're going to read the end of this uh, great book, Acts 28. We're going to read from verse 16, for a bit of context, right the way through to the end of chapter uh, 28. So Acts 28, verse 16. And if you haven't got a Bible, you can just listen, that's fine. So Luke writes this. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not, con- we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of the brothers who came from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. By which they meant the, the Christian faith. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. 
From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they, heart, and they have clothed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Jew, it was so important to Paul to do all that he could to tell his fellow Jews about Jesus and to give them the opportunity to respond to the gospel, this good news about Jesus. And after three days arriving in Rome, after, after a pretty horrendous journey, Paul straight away gets on the job. And he gathers the leaders of the Jews across the city of Rome to make sure they knew the truth about his circumstances and to, to make sure that they knew that he wasn't out to cause them any trouble, despite what they may or may not have heard. And after hearing Paul's first explanation, they wanted to come and hear more about what he believed. Luke says that Paul spent a whole day, morning till night, explaining to them about the kingdom of God and trying to show them that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the the prophecies uh, right the way throughout the Old Testament that the Jews grew up knowing about. He wanted to show them that Jesus was the one that they'd been hoping for. Jesus was the hope of Israel. Jesus was the long-promised king, the long-promised Messiah, the Savior. And some of them were convinced by what Paul had said and trusted in Jesus, It, it we presume right there and then, but others wouldn't believe what Paul was saying. There's a whole mixture of responses going on as they listened to Paul. And as this group of Jews left the house that Paul was under house arrest in, still chained up to a member of the Praetorian Guard, Paul repeated the words that the Holy Spirit had said to Isaiah 700 years earlier. Isaiah was one of the leading prophets of the Old Testament. He wrote a book called Isaiah, and it's, one of the, uh, it's, it's probably one of the biggest books in the Old Testament. And he, was, uh, he wrote and was active as a prophet, as one of God's messengers to the nation of Israel over 700 years before Paul was living. He was the sort of Old Testament equivalent, if you like, to Paul. Uh, and, and, and Paul takes these words from Isaiah and he applies them to his life and his situation right there and then. And he applies it to those who wouldn't respond to what he was saying that day as he shared with them about Jesus. Look at what Paul says in verses 25 to 28. Verses 25 to 28, he says this, The Holy Spirit, sorry, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your fathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their, ears, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Over 700 years earlier, Isaiah had had this great vision of God. And in this vision that Isaiah had, which we're going to read about in a moment, God had told Isaiah to go and to preach to the whole nation of Israel. 
But he was warned, as he was commissioned to do that, that actually the vast majority of the people of Israel would reject what he had to say. They would reject him, and they would reject his message. So let's read that commission that Isaiah has. If you've got a Bible handy, we're going to flip back to Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6, perhaps one of the best-known bits of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. And you'll see where Paul is quoting from as we read this chapter. Or, or, or these, t- uh, these 10 verses. So Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. And Isaiah writes this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. He's having a vision of God. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two, wing, two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. That's the passage that Paul is quoting from uh, here in Acts 28. And when we get to the New Testament of the Bible, the Apostle John wrote these words about that incident Uh, In Isaiah, he said this, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Can we have that verse up, please? Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So the person that Isaiah actually saw in this amazing vision was none other than Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. In other words, it was Jesus before he'd become a human being. And that's because Jesus was and is God. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord Almighty. He was God in human form when he became a human being. God the Son. And of course now he's, retained, he's returned to reign in heaven. And this, in this vision of Jesus that Isaiah had, he was told to go to the nation of Israel. But he was warned that in most cases the nation of Israel would reject what he had to say and would reject him. But it was this phenomenal and this amazing vision that Isaiah had of the Lord Almighty, in other words, Jesus. It was this phenomenal experience that empowered Isaiah and gave him the passion and the power to do what he did. Because despite being largely rejected and ignored, he was still able to do that and to go on and to be faithful to what God had told him to do. And over 700 years later, he was poor, finding himself in a very, very similar position to Isaiah. He was God's messenger with God's message, but the Jewish people in general didn't want to hear what he had to say, just as with Isaiah. And just as Isaiah had this amazing vision of Jesus, the the King, the Lord Almighty, so did Paul. Paul had a similar encounter with Jesus, not in the temple, but on the road to Damascus. As he was about to go and kill or, or, or round up Christians to have them imprisoned and killed, he met with Jesus. 
And he encountered Jesus face to face in a vision and it changed him forever. And for Isaiah and for Paul, it was this experience, this miraculous experience of seeing Jesus, the King, the Lord Almighty, that enabled them to be God's messenger. Because even though for the most part, the people of Israel rejected them and rejected their message, they were still able to keep going and do what they did. And there must have been many times when both men felt like giving up. It is really difficult, isn't it, when those you're talking to about God don't want to know. And when you've told them for the umpteenth time and people still don't want to know, to, to keep going and be persistent in doing that. When you've invited someone for the, the 20th time to church and they still don't want to come or they don't show up. But I think that at the heart of their drive and determination to keep going, to be faithful, to being the, the messenger that God had uh, appointed them to be, at the heart of that, at the heart of that determination to keep going, in the face of great opposition and rejection, was the encounter that they had had with the Lord Jesus. Now, our task isn't identical to Isaiah's or Paul's. We're not Old Testament prophets and we're not New Testament apostles, but we are all nonetheless called to be God's messengers. We're all called to tell other people about Jesus. We're all called to go and take that same good news that Paul had to the nations even though most people won't want to know about him. And if we're going to keep going and keep telling others about Jesus, and if we're going to be persevering in that, then we too need to encounter Jesus. We too need to spend time in the presence of the King, the Lord Almighty. It's unlikely that we'll have an amazing vision of Jesus in the way that Isaiah and Paul did. We may do. That will be fantastic. It's probably unlikely that we'll have that. But we can all spend time with Jesus in prayer. And we can all encounter Jesus in the Bible as we read about him. And we can read and we can meditate on the very verses that we read about Isaiah and Paul's encounter with Jesus. So that we are thrilled and excited and in awe of our wonderful Lord Jesus. The way that we know most about Jesus is by reading the Bible. And that's how we most normally experience and encounter and come to know Jesus through his written word. We may have miraculous experiences. That's fantastic. But primarily, we will come to know Jesus through reading the truth about him in the word of God. And as we read Isaiah 6, we're presented with Jesus as the king. Enthroned in heaven, we're presented with his holiness and with his glory. This amazing vision of who Jesus was and is. And as we read verses like this, it reminds us just who Jesus really is. How amazing he is and how awesome he is. And it's out of and it's from moments like these that we spend in the presence of the Lord Jesus, thrilled by the power of the Holy Spirit and and, and his presence as we encounter Jesus in the living word of God. As we focus on who he is, as we read passages that describe for us Jesus' life in the Gospels, as we read about the prophecies in the Old Testament, as we read books like Revelation that describe Jesus coming in power and glory, as we focus on these different passages and become caught up with our amazing, wonderful Lord Jesus, it's out of moments like this that we get to be enabled and empowered to keep going and keep on telling other people about Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus if we're going to tell others about him. Write that on your outline. We need to spend time with Jesus if we're going to tell other people about Jesus. If we're going to tell other people about Jesus, we need to be filled with awe and with wonder and amazement about Jesus. We're not going to be great adverts for Jesus if we are not in love with, if we're not in awe of Jesus. If we're not passionate about Jesus, then we're not going to have a passion to tell others. 
one of the disciples, wasn't it, who said, you know, come and see a man who, who told me everything I ever did. Come and see somebody. This, this man's different. This man's amazing. And that needs to be the same kind of passion and urgency and excitement and awe and wonder that we have in our lives as we encounter Jesus day by day in his word through the Holy Spirit. That we go from those moments excited and on fire. I want to tell other people about Jesus. I want other people to have this wonderful encounter and relationship with this wonderful Lord Jesus, the Lord, the King Almighty. But we can't do that if we're not spending time with him. And if we don't have a passion and don't have a love for Jesus, if we're not blown away by he is and what he's done for us, then we're unlikely to want to tell others about him. You know, being a Christian isn't about, it's not a religion. It's not about knowledge. It's not about knowing stuff in the Bible. It's not about knowing when this happens. When It's about a living, dynamic, awesome relationship with the living God. Day by day, living in relationship with him, talking with him, communing with him. So that we're empowered and excited and thrilled and, and in wonder about him. That we want to tell others about him. And Paul was passionate about Jesus, and he was passionate about his own people, the Jews. But sadly, as the verses he quoted from Isaiah show, that the Jewish people in the main rejected his message. They rejected his message about Jesus, and they didn't want to know. And so Paul says this to this group of Jewish leaders. He says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now, Paul never turned his back on the Jews. He kept on telling them whenever he could and whenever they would listen, and some did continue to become Christians. But what he wanted to make clear to these Jewish leaders was that this wonderful news about Jesus wasn't just restricted to the Jews. The the good news that God loved the world so much was not just for the Jews. It was for all people, and that's why we're here today. However, Paul found himself unable to to go and spread that good news because he was in prison. He was chained up to a Praetorian soldier. He couldn't go and tell Jews or non-Jews because there he was under house arrest. And for an action man like Paul, who just seemed to be always on the go, always out there planting churches, being under house arrest must have been so frustrating for him. And he must have wondered why God had allowed this to happen to him. But it didn't let him stop him. He didn't let it stop him. Even though he was in change, he continued to tell others about Jesus. Verse 30 says this, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So at the end of this two and a half years, or at the end of this two years, we get four and a half years where Paul had been in prison to some degree or other. His freedom vastly restricted. And on the surface... That must have, well, it certainly looks to us, and it, and it must have seemed to Paul at times as, a, as something of a defeat. It would have done to me to have my freedom lost, to not be able to do what I felt I'd been called to do. But actually, people continued to hear about Jesus, and people were reached that otherwise, humanly speaking, were highly unlikely to be reached with the good news. Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi. It's what we uh, call the book of Philippians in the Bible. And he wrote this letter whilst he was in prison in Rome. And in this letter, he says these words. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, in other words, being in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. He's referring there to the Praetorian soldiers. It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, these soldiers of the Praetorian guard would have been highly unlikely to have heard the good news about Jesus 
if it wasn't for Paul being chained up for them. Humanly speaking, they were unlikely to have ever encountered it. And we don't know what the outcome was, but at the very least, Paul told them about Jesus as they each took their turn to guard him. And and for me, I kind of get the hint here that actually I think some of them trusted in Jesus. It would be fantastic if they did. And, And not only that, but you know, whilst Paul was in prison, he wrote several of the New Testament books. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and Philemon. And in Philemon, he talks about a slave who's run away, uh, and as, as he's encountered him while he's in prison, Paul leads him to faith in Christ. So Paul gets to lead at least another guy, and probably many more, and write four books of the New Testament whilst in prison, which we are benefiting from hugely still today. And eventually he would stand trial before Nero, and though we don't actually know what happened and all the chronology, we can be certain that Paul would have presented the gospel to him. I'm almost certain of that. Paul would have done everything he could, unless he was physically prevented from speaking. He would have presented the gospel to him. So what must have seemed like a defeat or a setback at the time, and certainly perhaps to us would have been, actually turned into something great. Caesar's elite soldiers were presented with the good news about Jesus. Four books of the Bible were written, and even Nero himself would have heard the good news about Jesus. And I personally find this so helpful because it teaches us that God is in control. God knows what he's doing. When it seems to us as if everything has gone wrong, or when we struggle to understand why has God allowed the things he seems to have allowed to happen, passages like this help us to see that God is at work and he's accomplishing his purpose in us and through us, in sometimes in what seem like hopeless situations. There's always a reason why that job didn't come up or why that relationship didn't materialize, or or why our plans were thwarted in whatever ways they have been to us. See, God is at work in our situations, enabling us to reach people with the gospel that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to reach. And he's at work in our hearts, helping us or giving us opportunities to become more like Jesus as we go through those difficult circumstances. Now, I doubt that Paul would have chosen to spend over four years in prison over being free to travel around Europe. I I don't expect he would have chosen that, humanly speaking, and to have been shipwrecked, etc. But through disaster and frustration came great opportunities for the gospel. Luke says that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what he means by that phrase, kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God simply means God's saving rule, really. It's an invisible spiritual kingdom. With those who belong to it are those who have submitted to Jesus as their king. And in submitting to Jesus as their king, they've received forgiveness, eternal life, uh, a relationship with God. And so Paul was proclaiming this kingdom, this transforming rule of God. And he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, the one to whom the subjects of the kingdom submit to as their king. And in essence, that's what we call the gospel. It's it's the good news about Jesus, about his saving reign, and what it means to submit to him as king. You know, the gospel isn't just about us getting stuff, uh, eternal life, a relationship with God. It's also about us submitting to Jesus as king. And if you're not submitting to Jesus as king day by day, then it's probably questionable whether you've really believed and and encountered and accepted the gospel because the gospel isn't just about being forgiven and and having good things from God the gospel at the heart of the gospel is also about submitting to Jesus as king Luke says that some were convinced by what he said but others would not believe Paul was arguably one of the greatest preachers and evangelists that has ever lived but even when Paul preached there were plenty of people who rejected what he said some were convinced but others wouldn't believe 
And I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but that encourages me hugely. I'm not the only one who has trouble getting non-Christians to listen to what I'm saying and to believe what I'm saying. Paul struggled too, and that gives me great hope and great encouragement. Some accepted what he said, but many more rejected him and rejected what he'd said. And that has always been the way it is with God's messengers. It was true for Isaiah. It was true for Paul. And part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, 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 part, and, and to be part of God's kingdom is to want to tell others about Jesus, even in the face of opposition, even when others don't always want to know. We need to face up to the fact that not everybody will want to hear what we have to say. And not only will they reject the message, but they're actually often going to reject us. And we need to be ready for that. If we're followers of Jesus, if we're subjects of the kingdom, then not only will those at work or in our families or in our streets or those that we're in contact with, not only will they often reject the message, but in so doing, they'll often reject us. And we need to be ready for that. And that's why we need to keep spending time with Jesus so that we're filled with awe and wonder. So when we have days where we just think, you know, nobody wanted to know, that guy I invited still hasn't shown up, that, that other person who I invited to read the Bible with me isn't interested, I, I've tried giving this person a book and they don't, don't want to know. In those moments... We need to have been doing that and, and doing that off the back of spending time with Jesus so that we're filled with awe and wonder so that our passion and our love for Jesus will give us that desire to keep on telling others about him even when we face setbacks and rejection. Now Luke brings his account, his Acts of the Apostles to an end and deliberately leaves the story unfinished at the end of chapter 28. Verse 30 says this, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Dot, 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 unfinished. That's it. It's not how I would have finished Acts, but what do I know? Luke brings his account to an end with a man under house arrest, but actively and boldly telling others about Jesus. There isn't a chapter 29. He leaves the story unfinished because those that have come after Paul, and that includes us this morning, we have the task of writing Acts chapter 29. What happens next is up to those who follow in Paul's footsteps, as he in turn followed in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. We are Acts 29. What happens next is up to us. The story isn't finished yet, and and we're writing the next chapter. We are writing Acts 29 right now. We're writing the next chapter of Acts in the history of the church right now. We are Acts 29. We're living it out. As we run Sunbeams and Child Minor Drop-In and the Coffee Morning and Friday Frenzy and FX and Sunday School, as we run special events, as we give out literature and gospel packs, as we go on camps and mission trips abroad, and and as we give financially to the work of this church and, and the various missionaries and mission organizations that we support, we are writing Acts 29. The question for each of us is this, what will we do to continue writing that story? What will that look like for you and me? What will we do to keep writing Acts 29? What part will we play in proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus? We are Acts 29. Write that down. We are Acts 29. I am Acts 29. I am Acts 29. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a subject of his kingdom, you are, a, you are Acts 29. And together we as a church are Acts 29.
So what are you doing to write Acts 29 where you are? In what ways are you engaged with proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus? We're not all evangelists like Paul. Paul was a, you know, a one-off. There are, there, there are a few people like Paul. But as followers of Jesus, we should all be engaged in evangelism. And that needs to be, I think, in four ways. Firstly, we need to play our part in the evangelistic activities of this church as we, as a church, try to reach people in this region. If you're a member of this church, then you should be actively engaged in evangelism through this church. And that means getting involved in things like sunbeams, in child minor drop-in, coffee morning, Friday frenzy, FX, Sunday school, special events, distributing literature, and so on. There are times when through health and extreme circumstances, we're unable to physically do that, but we can pray, can't we? We can give, we can be part of that through that. A second way, we are looking as a church to plant a new church from this church elsewhere, somewhere else in the Northeast. I don't know where that will be. Every church should be looking to plant new churches. Healthy churches plant churches. And if that's something that you feel that God might be putting on your heart to be involved with, then do come and see me or or Paul or Keith. There's there's about 12 of us who meet several times a year to pray together and to listen to somebody else who's planted or is planting a church. So why not come along to our next meeting? It's on Thursday the 14th of June in just a few weeks. Being part of this group in no way commits you to being involved in the church plant. So don't panic. You don't have to, if you turn up, it doesn't mean you have to be involved in the church plan. But why not come along and be part of that team praying that God would show us what and where and when and how. And as we listen to other people, normally we have a guest speaker, but on the 14th it will be Claire and I sharing our experience of being involved in church planting for eight years in Hereford. Thirdly, it means getting involved and it means supporting mission abroad. We mustn't get so focused on our local needs that we forget about the wider world. There are millions of people out there who've never heard about Jesus. Don't, we mustn't ignore them. There are still large areas of Europe where there are no Bible-believing churches. The gospel simply isn't being preached at all over vast swathes of, of Europe today. So we think of you know, far-flung places as being unreached. Europe is one of the most unreached places in the world. So what can we do? We can pray for those serving God abroad, people like Andy and Sarah Stewart, and the many missionaries in in prayer guides like Echoes International. The the, the Echoes magazine is a fantastic resource. Gene will happily sign you up to get copies of that. It comes out every month. There's a prayer guide for the whole year, and there's great features and articles. You can get the uh, weekly prayer bulletin. It's a a way of being meaningfully engaged with foreign mission. There's, There's lots of other mission agencies as well, but that's one that we connect with, so I'd encourage you to connect with that. We can give financially to support them. Not all of us can go. Not all of us will be called to go, but we can give financially. And we should be giving financially. The the missionaries in the Echoes International Prayer Guide are all on salary. They live by faith. And so when we give offerings to Echoes, it's helping the gospel be preached all over the world. We can go on short-term mission trips through agencies like GLOW. There are are plenty of others, but but GLOW is one that we're connected with. Anastasia's going on two GLOW teams this summer, uh, one to Poland and one to Italy. Naomi's going on a GLOW team to Hungary. Martha's going on a a beach mission. That's fantastic. People from this church taking the gospel to other countries, and other folks I know are looking at doing those too. It's not just something that younger people can do. Many GLOW teams that I've led and been involved with have had people right the way up into retirement. So can I challenge you? Don't just think of kind of summer teams as being something that teenagers or early 20s do. This is something we should all be engaged in. Take a week 
and go and be actively engaged in taking the gospel to unreached parts of this world. It's part of our vision as a church to commission people from this church to go into full-time Christian service in, in, in this country and abroad. And it may be this morning that God is actually calling you or has called you to go abroad, short-term, long-term, or permanently. If that's the case, then make sure you see through that commission, that calling. But lastly, the fourth way that we can write Acts 29 is by reaching out to the people right where we are. Reaching out to the people that God has placed in our lives. We are all in a relationship with non-Christians, with family friends, neighbors, work colleagues, fellow students, and God has placed us in contact with those people for a reason. Just as Paul found himself chained up to a soldier for hours on end, so many of us find ourselves with the same person opposite a desk uh, at work or a student or a friend for hours on end. And like Paul, that is not an accident. God planned before he made the world that you would be sat next to the guy at work or that you would uh, be in the same class or you'd be in your street, wherever it might be. God has placed us in those situations so that we can spread the good news. So how will you write the 29th chapter of Acts? What will Acts 29 look like for you? What will it look like for this church? What will it look like for me, for us? What will our contribution be to the story of spreading the gospel to the very ends of the earth? Let's just bow our heads. Take a few moments to reflect on what God is saying this morning. How does God want you to write Acts 29? What does that look like in your life? Maybe you've never, ever trusted in Jesus. This morning would be a fantastic time to give your life to him. Maybe this morning you've been wandering from Jesus. You're living in rebellion to him. Now's a great time to repent and realign yourself with Jesus. Maybe this morning you just know that you're just not quite as engaged as you should be in, in mission. Now's a great time to rededicate, to recommit, to realign yourself with God's plan. What ways in which we will be active in writing Acts 29. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you loved the world so much that you sent Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came. God made flesh, the King, the Lord Almighty, to live as a human being, to die, to take the punishment for our sins, to rise again, conquer death, to ascend to heaven. And we thank you that one day he's coming, O glorious day. Father, you've put on our hearts that great commission to reach to the ends of the earth with the good news, with the gospel. Help us to preach that. Help us to live that. Help us to live out Acts 29. Help us to write the next chapter. Help us to write the next story. Help us to reach others through giving, through prayer, through serving, through going, through talking, whatever it might look like, so that others might hear about Jesus. Give us a fresh, oh Lord, we pray, a fresh vision of Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to encounter the Lord Jesus once again, that we might with our own eyes see the King, the Lord Almighty. And once again, in awe and wonder, live our lives out of reverence for him. We ask this in Jesus' name.